Hi, my name is Mark Fontaine and welcome back to a brand new episode of the Service Design Show. And I'm really excited to share another podcast exclusive episode with you. In this episode, we're going to talk about a topic that is sensitive to some people and sometimes even a little bit taboo. We're going to talk about strategically influencing people, more specifically stakeholders inside your organization. And if this is already creeping you out, then you really need to stick around for the entire episode as this is a really important topic. One thing we need to set straight right away is that as you'll hear in this conversation, influencing is not about manipulating people. There's a big difference, but more on that later. The reason we need to have this conversation is that as a service design professional, you can't get things done on your own. You always need to work with others. And as I've said more often on the show, in a way, relationships are your design material and influence is a way to work with this design material. So this begs the next question. Who should you influence? And how do you actually do that without feeling creepy, of course? Well, I've invited Ben McCammon on the show. Ben hosted our most recent Circle Community session where we explored these questions. As you'll hear, Ben shares four tools that you can start using tomorrow to cultivate influence. Yes, we get down to a very practical level, the nitty gritty stuff that's hard to find anywhere else. Again, you might feel that influencing people is a bit of a controversial topic, but I really hope that this conversation will shine a new light on this. For me, knowing how to use influence in a strategic way is really a sign of professional maturity. I'm curious how you think about this after listening to this episode. If this is your first time listening to the podcast and you haven't yet heard about The Circle, let me quickly fill you in. The Circle is a community for in-house service design leaders who want to grow as a professional. We get together every month to share stories, failures and best practices, always exploring a different but relevant topic that goes beyond the basics. The Circle provides a safe space for you to reflect on your practice, something which I found many in-house service designers struggle with when they are chasing never-ending to-do lists. So if you're an in-house service designer who wants to connect with and learn from other peers, I encourage you to join us. To get all the details and learn how to apply, head over to servicedesignshow.com circle. You'll also find a link in the show notes of this episode. That almost wraps it up for the intro. The only thing left for me to say right now is let the show begin. Welcome to the show, Ben. Hi, Mark. Thanks for having me. Yeah, really excited to have you on as another uh, Circle participant, Circle host, Circle facilitator. Um, Super interesting topic that we're going to explore today, as always in the circle. Um, but before we dive into that, uh, Ben, could you give uh, the listener a brief introduction about who you are and what you do these days? Sure, happy to. Um, so my name is Ben McCammon. I work as a director of service innovation um, at a financial services firm uh, in Toronto, Canada. Uh, and I actually support two kind of sister companies. One is called McKenzie Investments, um, and one is called IG Wealth Management. Uh, so we're we're one big family, and uh, I lead a team that does continuous improvement, service design um, within uh, an operations division. So uh, lots of uh, rolling up our sleeves and working with uh, business partners. That's my day to day. That's your day to day. Awesome. And I, I have to ask this question on the previous uh, podcast episodes, but uh, let me give it a try in this case. Um, why did you actually join uh, this circle community? Why did you want to be part of other in-house service design geeks? Because <laughs> uh, I'm a geek too. Um, <laughs> and you know, because it was a great opportunity to actually spend time regularly with people like me doing similar jobs in other organizations. So it's really, for me, it's about learning from the other people in the circle and figuring out, you know, what's working for them, what's not working, how can, how can I use that to make my work better and my team's work better. 
And uh, in the recent uh, session, uh, you had the opportunity to bring in uh, your experience uh, and uh, get the conversation started. Mm-hmm. Let's let's just jump into the topic. And you brought in the topic of cultivating influence. Now, before we uh, unravel what that is, if somebody is listening right now and they are, I don't know, five minutes in, why should they uh, stay till the end? What's in store? What what can somebody expect uh, from this episode then? Mm. So hopefully someone will hear a bit about uh, some really practical uh, sort of tips and techniques that they can use to cultivate influence. And um, we talked a bit about both proactive things we could all be doing as well as how we react to what's happening around us. Um, and so I hope if they hear some of those, it'll actually help them make their work more effective, get things implemented, be working on the right projects, um, and ultimately be able to actually deliver better services. Well, that's a lot. And that's a, that's a big <laughs> promise. So yeah, even if we get halfway, uh, I think, uh, it will be already super valuable. Um, but we have to, uh, we have to talk about cultivating influence those aren't per se two words that i would quickly put together like sure. how did you how did you come up with this topic so you know when we talked in the circle we we started with sort of an analogy right mark of like okay so when we think about influence like when we think about uh and just you know this isn't the kind of influence of like trying to get someone to promote me or give me a raise or something self-serving, right? This is more like, how do we, how do we have influence over important decisions that actually affect the services uh, that we're, that we're trying to improve, right? So we talked about this analogy of like uh, gardening as opposed to kind of hunting. And so for me, the, the cultivating word was a really deliberate choice because it's about You know, if you think about growing influence, it's not like one thing that you can do and boom, you have all this influence and everything works fine. And, you know, it's more like the gardening analogy of like, okay, you got to water things every day. You got to pull the weeds out every day. You got to make sure that the soil is healthy, pay attention to the weather. So it's kind of a longer game and it's, it's more about, uh, at least in my experience, kind of the the combination of a whole bunch of little actions as opposed to like one big heroic thing that you do and um, and suddenly you have that kind of influence. Mm. Does that make and, sense? Yeah, I th- at least for me, but I was part of the session. So yeah. <laughs> I, have a, I have a slight advantage here, but you mentioned something about what it's not. It's not self-serving. It's not the kind of influence that maybe feels a little bit dirty. It's the kind of influence mm-hmm. that helps us to get to do good, basically. Yeah. Is, is that a good summary? Yeah. And, you know, like we we all in our work, we have things that, you know, big changes we might want to make and we can't do them on our own. I mean, I can talk a bit more about that, but it's, it's that idea of like, okay, we want to create a better service experience. We want to create better outcomes for the people who use the service. So who else do we need to help uh, make the right decisions, unlock the right resources, right? So hopefully people listening, you know, have can kind of connect the dots to their own version of this, right? But Yeah, and this makes me think of, <clears throat> I run a course called Selling Service Design with Confidence, and uh, there is a lot of misconception about what selling is, but basically... Mm-hmm. When you're influencing people, you're also always selling something. You always have an agenda. You always want to try to achieve something. And it's if you're doing it from the right intentions for for the right reasons. Like um, and I'm, I'm uh, even at a standpoint that you should sell. You should influence. Like if it's for the good reasons, you're not you're not doing your job if you uh, sort of are holding back. But that's yeah. that's it's not the uh, like we have this saying in North. It's not the used car salesman thing, right? Like my favorite way of looking at selling or even some of this is like you're just helping people solve their problems, right? Exactly. So you're you're actually trying to make someone's life easier or do something that they also care about. Um, but 
you know, they're not necessarily just going to do it, wake up one day and do it. You yeah. know, if, if yeah. you're not putting in the work as well. And, 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 and from that perspective, if you truly believe that you have something valuable to bring, and if you can truly help the other person, it's an obligation to influence to sell but again i'm i'm sort of down and down rabbit hole here um yeah now um why should we uh you mentioned already something about this but why should we care you mentioned something about making change getting those services into the hands of people but why should we care about influencing yeah so for me it's it's kind of the antidote i guess to to some problems that i've seen myself being an in-house service designer um, and I work in a fairly large uh, hierarchical organization um, it's not really what I would call design led in terms of the practices or the mindsets so so it's it's maybe even more important in in a situation like that um, for folks listening but I would say like so you know if you ever, in your work kind of run into things like um you know people say they're supportive of something but when it comes time to actually you know put money into it uh, assign people to get it done something like that suddenly it's like oh there's these other priorities that get you know get that get that investment or that attention instead or if you find that you know you're sort of um you know, the last to hear about things like, oh, there's a project we probably should have been helping with or working on or contributing to. And you find out sort of too late that it's it's already happened or, the you know, the train has kind of left the station or maybe even like, oh, there's like four other projects that are the same as what we're working on and we didn't even know about it. Um, I mean, those are a couple of the, I guess, you know, signals that maybe what's missing is a bit of this like this influence that that you need to to be kind of building and and growing over time right um mm -hmm. you know another one for me is just like you work on stuff but it doesn't actually get implemented or maintained over yeah. time right maybe something happens but it doesn't really get maintained over time um, and again uh, it's usually not because it was a bad idea or, uh, you know, the thing that was, uh, kind of implemented was a bad thing. It's more about, you know, things require support and ongoing kind of, uh, attention from the people in organizations who make decisions and have power and control budgets and all that fun stuff. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and those are really classic signs, like, uh, not not being on top of the priorities when budgets are allocated, uh, not being able to follow through on implementation. Uh, mm -hmm. th those are really classic things. And I think really common challenges. And I'm not sure that um, people understand that like the root cause is probably that you're not part of the uh, important decisions that are being made, either not invited or deliberately uh, uh, not made part of that decision process. And I think that's the thing we sort of uh, uh, dived into throughout the circle that if we want to have uh, impact on a larger scale and if we want to have sustainable impact, if we want to see our ideas actually come into fruition and make change on and tangible change on employees and customers, we need to be part of those decisions, right? Yeah. And, you know, it's not always that people are going to come knock on your door and say, hey, Mark come on in and be part of this or, Hey, Mark, we, we want to hear from you. So that's where, you know, in the, in the session with the other circle members, we really talked about, okay, what can we be doing proactively? Right. Is, is a big part of it. Um, especially if it doesn't come natural to you. So like for me, I don't feel like I'm an expert in this whole idea of building influence. It's, I have to really work at it. I struggle because my default is, you know, getting excited about the problems, getting excited. Oh, what can we do? How can we solve it? You know, and so there might be people listening who, for them, they're actually doing this all the time and it comes naturally and, and they're having a lot of success with it. But uh, I know for me, it's, it's something I, I actually need to work on. So uh, that was also why I wanted to 
kind of host this conversation with the circle was uh, not because I have all the answers, but just sort of find out what have other people tried and and uh, how can I get better at this too. And uh, again, such a good point because I do see like. The service design community uh, is a bunch of really passionate people and uh, we get excited about quote unquote the actual work um, mm. and um, I think conversations like this or topics like this can feel like like overhead or uh, like it yeah rather things that you would uh, it needs to be in place like let somebody else take care of that and let let's just me do my work right it's that that's kind of the sentiment that I often feel around these uh, topics. Yeah, and I I get it because I feel that way sometimes too. But I also think, you know, what I've learned as I've sort of moved more into like leadership roles in service design is, you know, if you if you think of yourself as a leader, a service design leader, and it doesn't matter if you're like one person trying to lead that organization or you're or you're, you know, maybe literally leading a big team. Like if all you're doing with your time is doing research and journey maps and, you know, facilitating workshops, then you really shouldn't be surprised when decision makers kind of go, well, who's that Ben guy? Isn't he just the person who, you know, makes journey maps and does workshops? And why would we, why should we, you know, talk to him about this important decision or, you know, bring bring him into it. So, mm. yeah, you'll you'll uh, you'll be stuck on the very ten, uh, technical level. And yeah. I, I think for us, a service design community, we often pride ourselves that we do uh, enjoy the strategic view, that we enjoy the strategic conversations, um, and then sort of we end up complaining that we are not part of those conversations. But maybe that's because we're too focused on the actual tactical work. Yeah. And and the people you work with are not like I said, just going to wake up one day and think, oh, you know, let's bring this person in. Uh, if they don't know you, they don't know what you do. If if you haven't had sort of all those <laughs> those interactions over time, you know, sort of tending your garden, so to speak, mm. um, to make that happen. So I think it's really valuable that we uh, raise awareness that this is part of your job well you can decide that it isn't but then there is a consequence to it and if you sure. sort of decide that you want to be part of those conversations and have some more influence uh, around the important decisions and be part of those discussions then uh well here's here's the first step up and um you mentioned something about being a leader and uh what does that actually mean how do you experience that i mean it could mean different things to different people right but i i guess on this topic, what I what I'm learning is, you know, part of showing leadership in this regard is being proactive about this stuff, like carving out time to uh, to spend time with other people who I may not be working on a project with them. You know, my team might not even be engaged with them. Um, so it's it's not about like, oh, we have to you know, we have to get something done. Um, it's more these interactions that are about like, okay, we're, I'm investing in something that might not pay off, you know, this month, this year, right? That kind of thing. And so that's where I see like, that's actually part of my job mm. as someone who's trying to provide leadership here in terms of taking that longer view and, sort of working away at some of these things while a bunch of other things are happening that might be more kind of urgent or, you know, day-to-day -day or might pay off uh, for my team or for the organization in the short term, right? Yeah, and then still do it and then still invest your time in, in building these real yeah. relationships. Yeah. So what I find interesting, and this reminds me of some of the videos that I recorded in the past where I said, like, the organization is the design material of a service designer. And if you consider like the organization exists uh, of processes, of physical things, but it's also relationships, it's people. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, when you sort of start to realize that the organization is your design material, then investing in this, learning how to work with this material, which is, I think, what we're discussing, and it's suddenly 
makes sense that this is just part of your job. Yeah. It's sort of like you open up a whole other, like there's a room over here. I didn't know this room was here, but it's important, just as important as the other rooms that I was used to spending time in. So now, um, let's uh let's let's do become uh tactical and practical because that's one of the uh, aspects we try to do in the circle uh we try to uh, go really deep and show tangible examples of what what's it like to be a service designer to be an in-house service designer um you were so generous to bring in four examples of ways that you're cultivating influence or successfully less successfully I think it's uh, it's a good moment to sort of dive into into them and share them with the audience, and maybe that inspires also uh, people who are listening right now to come up with their own example. So, um, Ben, what did you bring to the table with regards to cultivating influence? Yeah, so maybe maybe I'll just start, Mark, with like a bit of we've been talking around it for a couple a few minutes, right? But what what do we mean by that, right? Cultivating influence because it it can sound a little bit like fuzzy and vague, right? So, you know, as as we were having the conversation with the circle and and as I was kind of reflecting, I was thinking, okay, well, what is it, right? To me, it's, like I said before, it's like an ongoing and deliberate kind of nurturing of like what you call that material of the organization, which is the, the people part, right? So it's like, it's, it's ongoing, it's deliberate, and it's really focusing on the people who are most critical to the success of your work, right? So it's also not kind of just like a a sort of like, let's all be friends and I'll go and try and, you know, spend time with everybody. There is a part to it that's like being selective, knowing what you're trying to accomplish and knowing who the people are that are going to have the most sort of impact on, you know, whether that happens or not. Um, and then it's really about working again, like over time to, to influence like their opinions, their decisions, um, and their actions, uh, when it comes to like those, those outcomes you're trying to create, right. Or those, those changes you're trying to create in the service. So that's like, to me, that's what it quote unquote means. And yeah, we, we talked about some proactive things and some reactive things so maybe i'll share like the the first proactive yeah sure uh, kind of really i guess practical thing you can do um and like i said a second ago it's it's really about okay well start with you know what is your goal that could be on a initiative but it could also be like kind of the longer term goal of the team and then you know start to figure out who these people actually are. And um, one of the, the sort of tools we, we talked about in the circle, um, and there's a lot of these online, but just basically like a stakeholder map. So there's lots of different versions out there. Um, the one we talked about, um, I sort of brought forward as a bit of a mashup between, um, you know, something I've used uh, at a past role for stakeholder management, and kind of combine that. It's funny, actually, you mentioned, you know, selling service design. So a few years ago, I actually had a business development coach. Um, her name is Rachel Turner, and she got me to do this exercise around sort of, you know, looking at your prospects and categorizing them based on kind of your relationship with them. So, you know, we talked about sort of combining those two things. And basically, you know, it's a classic two by two, you can kind of listeners can probably picture in their head you've got like you know who has high uh high influence or impact on our success versus low and who is already a supporter of what we're trying to do or of our team and who is not and you know you can plot people in there and and really the the point of the exercise is to get really clear in your own head about okay who are the people that fall into the quadrant that are really critical to our success and they don't actually support us or we maybe we even have a negative uh like a bad working relationship right now and so then it's all about okay wh why is that can i understand why can i learn about this person what they care about their priorities and basically like how do i move them over time 
to be more of a supporter, right? Mm -hmm. Which, mm -hmm. you know, which is very easy to say, right? Like it's not a sort of paint by numbers exercise where you just say, oh, well, I identified them and now it's just going to be simple. It's not simple at all, but this is just the starting point of knowing who you want to focus your energy on. Um, so then you can go and learn more about them, learn more about like, like I said, what they care about and what would actually change their mind or move them into more of that supporter role. So, um, yeah, and this is definitely very vivid. And the stakeholder map has, uh, is one of the classics, uh, I guess, in the, the service design literature. Um, I'm, I'm curious, while you do this, how do you experience um, basically plotting names and people as resources because i like you're being very deliberate and strategic about okay so i'm going to talk to jeff and not susan because mm -hmm. she's more valuable to me or to this project um like how do you deal with that how do you yeah, which, it feels, which story it feels sort of like you're ca casting judgment on people right but i mean i just look at it as you know look none of us have unlimited time and energy Right. So it's not about um, judging people or, or sort of like dehumanizing them. It's really just saying, you know, if I can only spend time with a handful of people and put this effort in, I need to really focus that effort where it's going to make an impact. Yeah. You know so, what I mean? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And and uh, what I um, took away from the conversation in the circle is the only time this becomes a problem or it feels kind of weird is when you make it about yourself. So when you when you take yourself away from the equation and think about like w the bigger goal, as you said, mm -hmm. like who's going to help us to get to the bigger goal rather than I, I don't want to be friends with Susan, but I do want to <laughs> be friends with Jeff. Like that's... Yeah. It, you should put your take yourself your own ego out of the equation and just uh, look at this as a way to help you get to the goal that you're trying to achieve. Yeah, and you you raise another good point, which is it's not a friendship map, right? It's and so what I mean by that is there might be people who actually you don't have much in common with, with you don't get along with, you may not even enjoy spending time with them, but they are really critical for your success. And so you need to sort of treat it as like, you know, okay, like you said, put my ego aside or my own preferences or whatever and say, okay, well, what would it look like to genuinely uh, get to know this person and figure out, is there something I can do that they would find useful, helpful, that would like, you know, again, sort of in a meaningful way, uh, you know, help them with something that they care about, um, that hopefully that will also pay off for, for the, the bigger goal that we're trying to achieve for the organization mm. or for the team. Well, I like these conversations because as we are sort of bouncing ideas off one other um, idea that has been prompted on the service design show uh, a few times is the idea of dark matter inside organizations. And mm -hmm. um, the reason why I'm referencing to that is like, if you don't make this stakeholder map, if you don't have this awareness, it's going to emerge anyway. Like it's, it, yeah. and, and this uh, it's, it's already there. The only thing that you're doing is sort of trying to make it tangible and give yourself more clarity about what's actually going on. It's not that if you don't make the map that uh, everything will be fine, right? Yeah, it, yeah. All the dynamics are still there, right? Whether you realize they are or see them clearly or or don't see them clearly or try yeah, and act yeah. on them or don't try and act on them, they're all still there, right? And and you'd better, I, I think you're in a more adventure, uh, advantageous position if you are aware of the dynamics or at least to a certain degree versus not being aware of them and just uh having them uh come over you in the mm -hmm. in the wrong moments right yeah or you sort of bump into them in the dark so to speak because you yeah that's what usually happens yeah yeah, yeah. and you know like the other part of this is you know some people might kind of feel weird about like formally documenting this but you know, you don't have to show it to anybody. This is really just like a 
at its base level, just like a thinking tool for yourself. I mean, maybe you want to do do the exercise with your team or, you know, with your boss, if you if you think, you know, you've got a the right kind of working relationship, but you also don't have to kind of expose this, uh, this categorization to anyone else if you don't want to, right? And you can just sort of update your own understanding of it over time. Um, so I, I think that's like, I, I know some people who sort of feel like almost like what you said before, well, we're just treating people as resources or we're, you know, we're kind of like labeling people and putting them into, into categories. Um, but again, it's, it's really for your own benefit as a, as a starting point. So, yeah. And it's not, not, not only for your own benefit, it's for the thing that you're trying to achieve. I think that's Ultimately, really important. Yeah. yeah. And I yeah. think it's really important to stress that. And these, um, how weird it may sound, but these people that you're plotting on a, on a stakeholder map, they represent uh, a piece of the puzzle. It might be uh, budget, literally money. It might yeah. be access to certain systems. It yeah. might be headcount. Like these people represent something uh, to, to make this, this machine work. Yeah. Like... And that's, you know, again, um, some people listening might say, well, I have some of those things. I don't need other people. <laughs> but for me in my role, like I control the budget of my team. That's it. So I don't have access to, you know, a big budget. I don't have hundreds of people that I can deploy to do something. You know, uh, I don't control like a technology roadmap and get to decide what gets built and what doesn't get built. So all I can do is influence the people who actually have those formal powers within the organization. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I guess this is a no brainer because within service design, nobody is able to deliver or implement on a service by themselves. Like right. it's, you very, always very need, rare, right? <laughs> unless you are a team of one uh, and are a company of one, but Run, uh, running your own business, yeah, running your own business, running your own podcast. Uh, but you always need to collaborate, and you you need other people. You need to, well, yeah, I think that's that's pretty clear. So, um, okay, I think we made a pretty strong uh, argument for making an explicit stakeholder map. Uh, if you uh, if that name creeps you out, just give it a different name. Give it a relationship map or <laughs> something yeah. like that. Uh, and uh, and make the dark matter inside the organization um, tangible, uh, at least for your own good. What were some of the other uh, ideas that were uh, brought forward? Yeah, so, and, and Mark, I think um, we tried to focus and pull out and talk about here, like some that we kind of felt are maybe um, relevant, no matter what, you know, the the person's situation is. So whether you're like a team of one leading a big team, whether you're in an organization that has like a high degree of, uh, let's say, service design maturity or low. So, so the other one that came up and quite a few people in the circle uh, shared their version of how they do this really kind of builds on, okay, if you know who you're trying to focus your energy on and who it's most important to cultivate this influence with, you know, the other really, you know, it sounds again, sort of it sounds almost like too simple or too basic, but the idea of really keeping an ongoing record for each of these people about like, what are you learning about them? What do they care about? What are their priorities? What's their personality? How do they think? How do they make decisions? Like all these things that, again, you're not just going to meet somebody once and sort of know all this. Um, and so a lot of people talked about how they do it. And, you know, it could be just a little set of index cards they keep kind of nearby. It could be digital notes that they sort of update. It could even be treated as almost like a bigger uh, almost like a research project and you, you're building, you know, mural boards and you're, you've got an Airtable database going on. But no matter how you do it, I think the, the point of it is to say that's how you start to figure out how you're going to actually sort of 
influence people, change their hearts and minds, because you need to know about them, right? And you need to keep track. Um, and that's like an ongoing thing, right? It, it's it's because people are changing, the situation's changing. And so as a habit, you know, I was sort of thinking it's it's really about making it a habit. Um, and and again, it's it's proactive in the sense that like, you're choosing to do this and you're trying to always figure out like, okay, out of what I learned by being in a meeting with this person, taking them out to coffee, whatever it might be, what, how can I turn that into like an action or something I'm going to do next time I interact with them? And, and one of the circle members uh, had that as a great little build on this around, you know, she always makes sure she notes down like, okay, how am I going to approach the next conversation? Uh, what am I going to focus on next time? And she kind of documents that right away before, like we all know what it's right. Like even a week goes by and you forget things, you forget the nuance, you forget like things like how did that person react emotionally, you know, when I said that one thing or brought up that one topic, you forget all that. So, so again, the habit and the discipline of kind of using that, you know, you're creating like these living documents that are really geared towards and hopefully linked to your kind of action plan for how are you intending to to deepen that relationship with a person and, and kind of again like grow your your influence with them over time mm. uh, this uh, again uh, from uh, the initial outside perspective um, it might uh, sound or feel a little bit creepy like you're keeping a file or on yep. somebody <laughs> totally yeah <laughs> like uh, that. you're that detective and like you're journaling away what they uh, what their favorite food is um yep. but one of the things i think uh, at least what helps me a lot and i i don't do this uh because i'm not an in-out service designer but w what i think would help me is taking on the perspective of like trying to figure out how you can help the other person mm -hmm. so when you approach the conversation i think from the angle where okay how can i exploit that other person to benefit me like yeah. then then sort that's of very uh, different right that's, it's not it's, about how can i manipulate this person like you said it's like what do they actually need and care about what are their struggles right how can i maybe add some value there, do something useful, small or big, right? It could be, you never know what you're, what you're going to sort of uncover, right? If you're, but when you get curious and you pay attention and you are more deliberate about trying to find those things out, yeah, then you can actually say, okay, what could I do for this person? Exactly. Exactly. So it's, 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 it's much more an attitude of generosity rather than extraction and i think yeah. like you uh, you need to be very mindful of that otherwise you you do get very creepy uh conversations uh but going out for coffee and trying to understand okay so what are you working on what are your big challenges and um, you don't even have to talk about yourself if you learn these things about the other person the next time something comes up and you think well i could help susan with a project she's working on and by doing that, she will actually contribute to the thing that we're working on, right? That's, yeah. I think, the dynamic that you're looking for. Find some of those win-wins. And, you know, I think, Mark, you've had people on the show in the past who talked about this this idea of, like, it's really just doing research. It is. Like, that's the other thing. If people kind of look at it and go, oh, creepy, or making files on people, it's really just, like, what do we do when we interview customers or patients or users? We take notes and we try and like get insights about them and what they need and so what, what, yeah, what I, their life is like, right? <laughs> so, so what makes this thing. feel, what? but because it does feel different in the way we talk about this compared to doing user research, what do you think is the difference? I think it's because, and this again may depend on the context you work in, but I think in a lot of sort of classically hierarchical organizations, like, I think it's the documenting it. It's not that people don't observe these things, think about them. I think it's maybe that it's not a common practice to do this sort of thing. And it may, because of that, it may sort of feel like, oh, I'm, I'm doing something odd or different. And 
that sense of like, you know, I'm, I'm uh, a keeping a file on somebody because it's, you know, it's not a norm to do that sort of thing and, and think of it as just research that's going to help everybody work together better. Mm. Right. It's, it's not a norm in most places. So, um, but it is, but it is a norm to like go talk to people and write notes. Like it's not, it's not, it's not that like there isn't a part of it that is quite common. I think it's just more being, being more focused and being more intentional that you're trying to learn about the person so that you can find those things, like we were saying, that might be a win-win or that might help you kind of uh, influence them, but in in the service of some bigger goal, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's just doing research and, uh, and making notes and uh, finding insights. Like, if, if that's the approach, then it should feel quite normal. Yeah. And I think that the trick here I would say to people is like figure out how to do it in a way that that you keep doing it, right? And that mm. you actually go back to the notes and you actually use them and you actually turn them into either an action or a different choice in the future. And you might have to experiment with a few different ways of doing it, right? Like maybe the index card thing works for you. Maybe it's all in your notebook. Maybe you need something different to kind of make sure it doesn't just sit in your notebook and never gets looked at again. Yeah. Um, So try some different things and then try and see what actually starts to make it more of a habit. That's the other thing I wrote down here. Like uh, it does sound like a lot of work, Ben, like making the stakeholder map, making notes, keeping them up to date. How do you feel about it? It does sound like a lot of work. Yeah, but again, I I go back to what we were saying at the beginning of the conversation. Like, if you're not doing some of these things, like, it's really just future Ben who's going to be, (laughs) like, disadvantaged by it, right? So I think, like, the selfish angle is, okay, I'm, I'm making an investment in, like, what I'm trying to accomplish here. Um, and the, the other, the other angle, I guess, is that like, again, this is sort of the difference between, you know, are you acting as a leader or are you just sort of acting as a, an executor of things and a, you know, a doer of, of things. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's, for me, I look at my role and I say, okay, this is part of my role. And I mean, I've had different bosses who maybe emphasize it more or less, right? So like sometimes you might, it might be helpful to have somebody sort of saying to you, this is important. I want you to do this, make time for it. And sometimes you might not have that, right? So you have to sort of figure out, are there other I always think of them as like accountability mechanisms that will sort of help you carve out the time when this is the classic, like important, but not urgent, right? If another two by two, if people know that one, right, it's like, it's the thing that these, these things we're talking about, again, the payoff is usually longer term. It could be shorter term, but usually longer term they're never like the urgent thing. So there's always other things that can sort of get in their way. Um, But, you know, like I said, figure out what would help you as kind of an accountability mechanism or a sort of like uh, a way to make it more of a habit. Mm. I'm uh, I'm going to throw in uh, just an experiment. uh, And I'm curious if somebody who's listening maybe has uh, uh, experience with this, but... Um, here in the Netherlands, we have a TV show, which is called V is the Mall. And it's basically a team of eight people in two weeks time trying to figure out who is the um, uh, imposter, like who's who's trying to sabotage the game. It's a game. <laughs> yeah. And uh, there are different assignments. You win money through those assignments. But all the participants are keeping notebooks with clues about the behavior of pe- people mm. throughout certain assignments. And I think like maybe an approach here 
treating it as a game, even maybe with your entire team, like try to figure out what the other department is doing. How are the dynamics there? Who's winning? And I think you could make it a lot of fun. And make it a lot less uh, heavy or, or a burden. Um, I try to do an a, 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 a internal detective game with your department. Try to figure out what sales is doing, what HR is doing. Yeah. And it's true because, Mark, you and I have been talking about this sort of very earnestly and, you know, seriously. But, yeah, they can have some fun with it and and inject a little bit of playfulness into it, right? Yeah. Um, the other thing I'll say, like, just as a super practical thing that I've done in different ways over the years. So to your comment about this, sounds like this would take a lot of time and take a lot of work. And it does. And because it's the sort of important but not urgent, like I'm a big believer in, um, and this won't work for everyone, but like block off some time in your calendar that is really protected and, and sort of for things like this. Mm-hmm. Um, so like on my team, every other Friday, we have a chunk of the day that we call it uh, sharpen the saw time. It's from a very old book by I think Stephen Covey, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. He talks about if you're not spending some time actually like, okay, stop cutting trees and actually go and sharpen the saw. Eventually, you know, you're not going to be very good at cutting trees. The saw is going to be dull and rusty. And so we do that. I've also in the past, I would do things like every Friday morning, I would say, this is like team investment time and I would block off a couple hours and, and, you know, then if that's every Friday, I would say, okay, maybe, you know, one Friday out of every month, I'm really going to focus on this cultivating influence piece. Right. And that's, for me, that helps because I'm a creature of my calendar and it just, it helps to protect the time. So that's just a really practical thing that people could try to. Yeah. And I, I think that's a really good practical advice, and especially like the people in the circle are in-house service designers, and I I've never been an in-house service designer, but I I can just imagine that you're swamped by to-do lists. Like it's it's a never-ending stream of tasks, which are always urgent uh, because they're on your to-do list, and these kind of things, like you said, don't show benefits usually early on. There are long-term investments, and if you don't protect them, if you don't make them into a habit. You won't do them. Yeah. And again, like I'm not sitting here pretending that I'm amazing at this or that I'm that I'm doing a great job at this. But like when I was preparing for our circle session, I think you saw this, Mark. I did a little quick audit of my calendar, right? I looked back the last like four months basically, and I was just trying to just trying to think and again, it's maybe an accountability mechanism. Say like, okay, I was tallying up the different meetings and interactions and little chats that I had with people that had nothing to do with like a current initiative or, you know, something I had to do. Uh, and, and when we're really just in my mind, like that was about spending time with someone checking in with them, maybe talking about something that, you know, could become a collaboration six months down the road. But, and I, ended up with it. It's about three of those per week on average. And so to me, that felt like, okay, I'm doing pretty good. And that is a lot of time when you think about like all the other demands, like you were saying on people's time. Now, some of those were just little 20 minute conversations, right? This, that, and the other, but that was my way of sort of checking yeah. like, how often am I actually doing this? And do I think I need to do more or less? Right. But, it, you know, the question about uh, it's a lot, a lot of time, like that's a trick question, of course, because when you, <laughs> when you, yeah, like you said, I like the uh, analogy or the metaphor of sharpening the saw, because um, if you don't invest your time in sharpening the saw, like if it takes you an hour, if you, even it takes you five hours, but you can do your work twice, twice as fast, like the math becomes really easy. Mm-hmm. So... Like, what's the price? Maybe, and that's that's maybe the more realistic question. What's the price that you'll pay of not doing this? Yeah. Right? Because I've been it, there too. I've been in those periods of time where I haven't been doing this type of thing. And then, you know, things like I talked about in the, in the beginning of our conversation start happening. Like, oh, 
projects going on that we should have been asked to help with and we could have actually added value, we had no idea, right? That type of thing. Or, you know, uh, we think everything's going great uh, in some initiative and we get to the end and like, oh, maybe people actually weren't so happy with the work that we were doing, but we weren't investing enough kind of of that extra care and sort of tending to the garden uh, outside of like the stuff we had to get done mm -hmm. for the project. And mm -hmm. yeah, it's, it has a cost, like you said, so, right? Yeah. The cost of not doing it. And, and, and the difficult part is that it's almost like an um, insurance policy or something like that. When everything works, when everything goes according to plan, like you're like, why did I have this insurance policy? Like, <laughs> exactly. why was I paying for this monthly? But when when shit hits the fan, you're happy with it, and it's the same here. Like, if you're investing four hours of your week into building relationship and everything is running smoothly, you're like, should I be really doing this? But it's it's <laughs> yeah. it's because you're doing it, and uh, that's that's the, uh, the sort of the mental mindset trick that you have to play on yourself. Like not doing it has has big consequences. Yeah. So hey, do um, we have do we have yeah. time to talk maybe about one of the more reactive? Yes. Ones? Yes. Is let's take okay? uh, let's take a few minutes because those two, uh, the stakeholder map and keeping notes, keeping file on people, were the two proactive things, and you also share two reactive things. So let's let's quickly dive into those. Yeah. So so one of them is on the surface probably going to sound quite generic, but I'll I'll try and share some examples that came up in the circle. So one of the reactive ones was kind of like, uh, we talked about it as really connecting the dots that you're seeing across the organization out loud and like in real time. So it's reactive because it's like when you're noticing things or when you happen to be in a meeting and somebody mentions something, um, or a colleague, you know, comes to you and just starts sort of like sharing about something that's going on. It's that behavior of sort of saying, I'm seeing a connection that maybe other people aren't, and I'm going to say something about it. It could be because there's a positive opportunity to do something, or it could be like a more of a watch out or kind of a red flag that you're, that you're raising. Um, so can, and yeah, not, can, th th yeah. this begs an example, like, like, yeah, like, what would you call so, like some of the, so some of the examples that people shared, like things like, okay, maybe seeing that somebody else's work, like some design principles that some other team developed should really be applied to a certain, you know, experience or service and actually saying, Hey, so-and-so has these, you should be working with them and sort of you know, calling that out to somebody else. Again, maybe where you have no stake in it whatsoever, you're just trying to say, look, like all this work has gone in over here. It would make sense for you to leverage it in what you're doing. Um, another example someone shared was like, basically stopping the launch of something when they realize it's gonna, you know, damage sort of the organization's reputation or the bottom line. So like seeing that something like a, could be a technology change or something that's about to be launched and actually sort of waving the red flag and saying, hey, I, I think we need to stop this and taking that to other people who, again, you, you know, you may have no formal authority or, you know, kind of quote unquote right to do that, but just actually being the one to speak up and say, you know, here's what I'm noticing and, and here's why I think it's, it's a concern. You know. And how do, and how does this impact uh, the cultivating influence aspect? How does this so, help? I think it's because when you do that sort of thing, you're demonstrating that you have your eye on the bigger picture, right? Or that you are genuinely trying to connect these dots for some bigger benefit, and this is going to sound like really painting with a broad brush, but in my experience, I, I think that type of thing is actually pretty rare. Again, in organizations that have like a lot of structure silos, like the, the norm behavior is don't talk about other people's business, stay out of it. You know, that's so-and-so's area. 
And I think as service designers, it's actually kind of one of our superpowers, right? Is like not every service designer, but a lot of service designers are quite good at connecting seemingly unrelated things, zooming out and in and out and in and out, but zooming out to see the big picture. And that's something I think we can kind of uniquely, I'll say, lean into and do more of. And because it's not as common, uh, it becomes even more valuable, if that makes sense. Makes absolutely sense. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, again, with this, I think if you approach it from an uh, uh, angle of uh, curiosity uh, or raise it as a question rather than a mm. piece of advice, right? Mm -hmm. Then then you, 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 you can really create and carve out the space to do these kind of things without sort of upsetting the, the, the internal hierarchy, for instance. Yeah, and again, it comes back to knowing knowing who the people are that you need to talk to or, or, you know, how they're going to react. Like one of the examples, you know, someone in the circle mentioned like, okay, I knew this person. I knew what their kind of risk appetite was. I knew how they, a bit about how they think. So when I raised this red flag, it was really all through the lens of like, I see a risk. Do you also see this risk? Right? So again, it's more like a question. It's more like, Hey, I'm, I'm just offering up this, observation do you also like now that i've kind of pointed it out what do you think of this right do you agree that this could be a risk and that's i think that's another thing i really took away from our circle session was this idea of like you have to know when to really use that a certain kind of language so maybe it's talking in terms of business risk or talking in terms of business upside or the impact on the bottom line and not necessarily like you know talking in the language of service design you know experience design user needs uh you know all these things that might mean something to us but if we think about who we're trying to communicate to and what we're really trying to like the outcome we're trying to create we need to be really thoughtful about how we talk about it too which yeah. i know is not a new idea but no but it, it's it's it, good it really to emphasize it in, yeah. in this case right and again uh um, another analogy comes to my mind when i was thinking uh, and i've raised this uh metaphor a few times like consider this like traveling to a distant country like for me mm -hmm. i don't know traveling to japan the way i'm going to make my stay there probably more pleasurable is when I understand um, what's going on with the locals, when I understand the rituals, when I understand, like you said, the language or some words, it will be much easier for me to navigate uh, yeah. that different context. Um, and uh, if we, again, uh, approach this from a research perspective, it makes a lot of sense to sort of have some notes, be ready, uh, know know what uh, what the topics are that will spark an interesting conversation with a local. Um, that's just like that's just smart. That's just good practice. Yeah, yeah. It's just the difference. Okay, if I know I let's say I'm trying to do this dock connecting and I need to sort of raise a red flag to someone, are they the kind of person who I need to go with numbers in hand, or the kind of person who I need to go and talk to? about like, hey, this does not line up with our vision as a company or our, our strategy because they're like a 30,000 foot, you know, big vision kind of person. So it like mm -hmm. knowing who they are, knowing what they care about, then allows you to actually do something useful for them or be helpful as opposed to kind of- And everybody benefits, right? Everybody yeah, benefits. Yeah. So, um Ben, we had a uh, fourth one, a final one. Could you say something about that as well? Sure. Just, I mean, just briefly, this one was about, again, it's a bit more reactive. And we talked about examples of, you know, when somebody in your organization comes to you and asks you to do something that does play to your strengths, but maybe it feels a bit like low value or kind of just procedural Consider saying yes if this is someone or a group of people that you are actually trying to cultivate influence with. And this could be things like, you know, people brought up examples like, 
being asked to facilitate a workshop, being asked to build a journey map when maybe you, you kind of know they're not really going to do anything with it. It might be sort of a dead end. Like we're just going to make this map. And we all, I'm sure a lot of people listening have been in those situations where you're getting those requests and you're feeling like, look, we don't want to be known as people who just do that or sort of, you know, are doing these things when we're not confident it's going to lead to any action being taken. And so I'm not suggesting like say yes to all of it, but, you know, people in the, in the circle were saying like, if you can say yes selectively, like you never know where some of those things are going to lead and how it might kind of benefit you in the future or build that relationship in the future. So again, this one's pretty simple on the surface. Um, and it's probably the, you know, the real art here is in, again, understanding like when does it make sense to say yes right because probably 90 percent of these things if they really are low value or if they really aren't the best use of your time or your team's time you're probably going to want to say no but make some space for the the few that that could actually help mm -hmm. and again that probably means you have to have some sense of like what's your bigger goal and who are the people that are going to help you get there right yeah yeah, and with all these things, what I like about it is they they um, they work in 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 tandem. So they they strengthen each other. The the better you understand who the people are that you uh, could help you to achieve your goal, the more you know about them throughout the notes. The, the easier it will be, sort of, for you to identify like the small bets you need to take or who you were, who you can take a chance with. Um, and and this comes back to your initial. Uh, comment about this being more of a garden and all these things work together right uh, yeah it makes sense it's all the little things and I'm, I mean I remember especially most vividly I remember in 2020 saying yes to a lot of small things that weren't necessarily even what I thought our team should be doing long term but it was also like kind of reading the situation and realizing that a lot of the bigger stuff had been paused and a lot of our colleagues were scrambling to figure out how to digitize things and how to adapt to the pandemic and how like they were struggling with a lot of stuff. And so to be able to say yes and help out with some small things where, yeah, we do have a unique skill set. We can do something that has some value to it. Um, that definitely strengthened some relationships and, um, you know, was, was worth doing, even if the specific things that we, we did were just sort of like, yeah, let's facilitate a workshop for someone or help them, you know, map something because they're not comfortable doing it themselves, that type of thing. Right? Mm -hmm. Ben, sort of wrapping up, um, if, somebody has made it all the way to here, which is already a great uh, achievement. Uh, what do you hope is the thing that somebody will remember? What is the one takeaway you hope somebody will get out of this conversation? I would say that the thread for me is don't be shy. So in other words, like don't hold yourself back from this stuff, whether it's making you know, some sort of map, taking the notes, spending the time, being kind of brave enough to call out the dots that you see connecting, uh, you know, helping someone out even like, just don't sort of be shy. And maybe again, for some people, that's not an issue, but I know for me, I have to kind of remind myself and like, you know, push past my, my default setting and just sort of remind myself that like, it's worth doing, put myself out there, invest the time and don't hold myself back from it. Hmm. Yeah. Owning it, like own this, make, yeah. make it part of your, uh, habits, make it part of your skill set. Yeah. And, yeah. And quite literally don't be shy about reaching out to people. Right. Cause all this stuff we're talking about, you know, sometimes the, the hardest part is the first step of like, there's this person. I don't really know them. 
how am I even going to start? Right? Like, so don't be shy, reach out to them, find someone you already know who can sort of introduce you. And again, even if that feels a bit weird or like awkward, just, just do it and, and, you know, take that first step. And on that note, uh, Ben, this was uh, a great conversation. I really enjoyed it. Uh, it was almost as good at the, as the conversation we had in the circle. Um, <laughs> thanks a lot for uh, bringing this topic um, to our attention, for raising awareness around this. Um, it was great to hear some of your lived experiences. Uh, those are usually the most valuable stories. So uh, thank you once again uh, for sharing it over here. Yeah, and thanks for having me, Mark. And you know, I, I actually learned a lot uh, in our circle session and even just our conversation here is like turned on a few more little light bulbs for me. So I'm still, still learning as we talk about it. Uh, uh, as well, always, as always, we'll keep on learning. So, uh, thanks Ben. And, uh, I'll talk to you soon in the next session. Thanks Mark. Awesome that you've made it all the way till the end of the conversation. I really hope that you enjoyed it and learned something new. Now, I'm really curious, what's your perspective on cultivating influence after listening to this episode? Do you have your own set of tools and methods to achieve this? I'd love to know. Finally, to wrap things up, I quickly want to remind you that if you're an in-house service design leader and would like to be part of these conversations in the future, Join us in the circle. In the circle, you'll find other experienced professionals who you can connect with and learn from going beyond the basics. There is an application process to become a member of this community. And if you'd like to know if you qualify, head over to servicedesignshow.com slash circle for all the details. The link is also in the show notes of this episode. Thanks again for listening to the Service Design Show. It was great having you. As always, keep making a positive impact and I'll catch you very soon in the next episode of the Service Design Show. See you then.